Hello, Buckeyes fans. Welcome to another episode of the Buck Nuts Happy Hour. I'm Patrick Murphy here from 247 Sports, 247 Sports and Buck Nuts. Thanks for joining us again. We've got a good show for you here heading into week three of the college football season. Before we get going, guys, you're going to brush your teeth today. Why is that? Because it's a healthy part of your day and you don't want bad teeth. I want you to take it another step and add in skincare habits to your daily routine. We've done it, and we promise you we're never going back. We're hooked on Caldera Labs, high-performance men's skincare products. Look, I'm still young. I'm fortunate. My skin has not started to decay yet, but you look at a guy like my guy Dave Biddle, starting to get a little bit older. You're starting to see more gray in the hair. There's a reason he keeps his facial hair. He's a guy who started to use Caldera Labs. If you've listened to him on the Bucknuts Morning 5 talk about it. It's it's a product that he loves and is using. Some of the other guys we know have used it too. They all believe in it. Something we definitely recommend. Something I imagine that's not far off in, in my future. Um, the regimen from Caldera Labs includes three products that make up one minute in the morning and one at night. Habits don't get easier than this. Incorporate skincare before you brush your teeth. Jet guarantees to not mess up your routine, leaving your breath fresh and your face refreshed. And for just our audience, we have an exclusive offer. And this is Caldera Lab's best offer anywhere. Use Bucknuts at calderalab.com for 20% off right now. Get 20% off with Bucknuts, that's one word, at calderalab.com and make an unforgettable first impression that leads to charming charming words and you look younger. 20% off calderalabs.com with code Bucknuts. Anyway, we are going to dive into the Buckeyes here in just a little bit, but we're going to start with what kind of we've been doing the last few weeks as we slowly kind of ramp into the season. Looking ahead a little bit to some of the marquee opponents on Ohio State's schedule, we've talked to our friends from Notre Dame, we talked to our, maybe not your friends, but our friends from Michigan, and today we're going to talk a little Penn State football, and we've got our guy Tyler Donahue from Lions 247 Sports, TD's Takes. Tyler, thanks for joining us. How you doing? What's going on, Patrick? Good to catch up with you. Usually we don't do this until matchup week, and, and that'll be a big conversation for us later in the season, but good to check in mid-September. Yeah, we'll, we'll still do it then. I just, I've wanted to get a little bit ahead of this, see how teams are doing. Ohio State's uh, start to the season, it'll change next week when they play Notre Dame, but not a ton to talk about with some of these early season games. So it's been nice to kind of preview a little bit ahead. Um, I forgot to mention, I know you're in your middle of your work day, but uh, I have got a Bell's Too Hearted Ale here. I, I'll drink for both of us, unless you're surprising me and you got something there. I got to pick up my daughter from daycare in about an hour, but uh, I'm, I'm still working uh, on, on some fresh water here out of beautiful central Pennsylvania. So uh, I'll go. take it out. Tap water will work for me for now. Yeah. Smart not to pick up the daughter after a couple beers. That would be that <laughs> idea. All right. Anyway, let's dive into to Penn State. And I want to kind of start going back to the, before the season and just get your thoughts about this team, kind of what your expectations were, you know, maybe as, as you went through fall camp and learned about what this team was maybe going to look like in your mind. Um, and then we'll dive into kind of how things have gone since they've kicked off the season. Well, Patrick, I would say going back to post-game coverage of the Rose Bowl last January, the clear uh, the clear goal of this team collectively, they weren't shy about it, was getting to the college football playoff. And we all know that that means going out and winning the Big Ten Championship if you want to make sure that you get that stamp of approval from the playoff committee. So they haven't been shy about it since we were out in Pasadena and, and the, after they beat Utah and, and won 11 games, finished 11-2. and two. 
And along the way, they got some really important decisions. Olu Fashionu decided to come back. You know, maybe would have been a first round, probably a first round pick at, at offensive tackle last year. He stuck around for another year. Guys like Adiza Isaac and Curtis Jacobs, not marquee NFL draft prospects, but returning starters, third year starters now for them at defensive end and linebacker. And then the big question we all had was what would Drew Aller's emergence mean? Now, what exactly was this going to look like? We had four years of Sean Clifford as a starting quarterback, four years of Sean Clifford as a team captain. You kind of knew what to expect. Now, he did finish on a high note, probably played the best game of his career in the Rose Bowl, definitely had the best season of his career as a senior. And in the process, he was able to hold off Drew Aller, who was chomping at his heels, it felt like, at different points in the season. And so Drew kind of had this landing uh, going into to spring ball where – this is kind of what you want it set up as. He had 10 games of experience as a true freshman behind Sean Clifford, four touchdowns to his credit, didn't turn the ball over, didn't also face a lot of adversity along the way. So it's still kind of one reign from there. But he gets to be QB1 all spring, gets to be QB1 all fall camp. Now, James Franklin didn't name him the starter on it actually never named him the starter. It was announced at the Beaver Stadium uh, right before kickoff. But we all knew that Drew Aller, number one quarterback in the country from a year before, was going to be the guy to get the keys to this offense. And Patrick, I think it went from imagination and hype to evidence and expectations in a real fast portion of time. I mean, the first possession for this team against West Virginia, 72-yard touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith to start things off. Drew Aller finishes 21 of 29 in the opener, 325 yards, three touchdowns, uh, no interceptions. And then he comes back against a, a totally overwhelmed Delaware team, an FCS opponent. But you want to see Drew Aller take a next step, not take a step backwards or sideways. And he starts the game 14 of 15 passing. He finished with just four incompletions on the day, went for 200-plus yards, had a touchdown rushing, had a touchdown passing. And I think what really stands out about Drew Aller and, and why I think I'm trying to believe that it can happen this year versus maybe waiting for the junior version of Drew Aller is that in 12 games at the college level now, two as a starter, of course, most notably, no turnover. And there's only one pass that I can even point to along the way that was like, don't do that. That's not the ball you want to throw. That was in the season opener, and it actually happened in the end zone. And, and to his credit, wide receiver Keandre Lambert-Smith knocked that ball to the ground. But this is what we've heard about, about Drew Aller all preseason camp. We have a lot of respect for Penn State's defense here on campus. But from what we've seen, we know this offense has a lot of respect for the defense. And Drew Aller uh, did not turn the ball over in live action during preseason camp until practice 13. So it says a lot about the ball security because you'll take the mistakes with the five-star arm talent and with the six-foot-five, 240-pound quarterback. You'll take some of those scary throws that put you in peril. But the fact that that hasn't really been part of his brand as a quarterback so far, I think has a lot of people thinking that he could be a guy in the maturation process of his career to actually be able to get it done as a sophomore for a team that has a lot of depth and a lot of talent in other areas. You, did you say that Sean Clifford was a four-year captain? He was, four-time team captain. Wow, that is impressive. I mean, I knew most of most of what he did. I did not know that. That's, that's <laughs> uh, We got used to him around here, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I knew he was there for a while. I knew he played a lot. I did not know he was a four-year captain. Props to him. Um, since you talked about Drew Alley there quite a bit, we'll, we'll start off with him. And uh, oops, wrong one. Ryan asked, are Penn State fans angry that Drew Aller didn't start last year after his start to this year? Um, I want to take that a step further. Maybe what Sean Clifford did to hold him off and then maybe the reaction of, of fans, especially now that they've seen him in action. 
Yeah, there was certainly a, a, a lot of swell last year, uh, especially after they lost that first game. Now, now they had started the season a five and zero. They went into bye week five and zero. They came out of the bye week and they got slammed at Michigan, as I'm sure a lot of your viewers recall. Uh, big moment for Michigan early in the season. Bad moment for Penn State. A lot of people thought they were exposed. I don't know if a lot of people thought they'd end up winning eleven games at, in that moment. They righted the ship, especially defensively after that. But in the aftermath of that game, people were like all right, this is not a college football playoff contender. This is not a team that's going to go to Indianapolis to win the Big Ten title based on what we just saw play out in Ann Arbor. Why don't you see what you've got in this you know, phenomenon freshman and Drew Aller who has done enough to, to leapfrog a, a, a guy they, they liked before in Christian Veyer as the backup quarterback. And uh, so we were just kind of thinking, you know, you started to hear those questions asked in the press conference setting. And there was a week there, I believe it was leading up to, to the Minnesota matchup at home, the whiteout game in late October, where James Franklin didn't come out and outright confirm that Sean Clifford was his starter. Now he didn't say that Sean Clifford wasn't a starter, but it was something that we all wrote about. It was something that we all talked about. Yeah. Sean Clifford was announced as the starter against Minnesota that night in a whiteout. And there were boos in Beaver stadium. Again, I'm talking about a kid who's halfway through his fourth year as a team captain as a starting quarterback and have the, were there moments where you, you wish you got a little bit more out of the quarterback position? Sure. But it was a major slap in the face, I think, for a lot of people in the program to hear some boos coming down at Sean Clifford that night. He went out and he won Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week against Minnesota, and he really locked down and locked in with that starting job. I mean, you remember the Ohio State matchup and the, the pressure he faced off the edge, but he also had some moments where he fought back, and this offense was able to have some answers along the way. He, he couldn't get it done against Ohio State over the course of his career, but you look at what he did the rest of the season – Man, he, he was he was really good. He didn't throw the ball 30 times during their five-game win streak to finish it, but he was playing the best and, and most in-control football of his career. And I think that's why James Franklin ultimately stuck with him. I mean, it's hard to bench a four-time team captain because you got to wonder what that does to your locker room. But at the same time, he was rewarded because Sean Clifford – was about three or four percentage points higher uh, in terms of completion rate. Uh, he was throwing less interceptions and clearly clicked for him with Mike Yersich. And to his credit, he turned that into a fifth round opportunity. I think a lot of us anticipated he'd be an undrafted free agent. Uh, and now he's the primary backup. So Jordan Love and, and with the Green Bay Packers. So I think as we get further away from the Sean Clifford era, people are going to have more respect for what he did in a Penn State uniform. But you can understand, and now hindsight being 2020 with what Drew Aller has looked like through two games where there are some people on our message boards who are saying see I told you so this team would have beaten Ohio State with Drew Aller as a starting quarterback or this team would have would have been more impressive down the stretch and Drew already would have had all those starts under his belt I don't think James Franklin would reverse his decision if given an opportunity and now I think Drew Aller is still in a really good spot spot to blossom uh, as a starter as a sophomore hearing you describe all that it took me back to when Ohio State had JT Barrett and he was a multi-year captain. Dwayne Haskins had played a little bit, and, and people were chomping at the bit for Dwayne Haskins. And Micah Parsons tweeted, I remember. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yes. I forgot that there was that connection too. But, yeah, it sounds very similar. And I think you're absolutely right. As fans look back on that JT Barrett era now, I think they remember him now more fondly because of what he was able to accomplish than in the moment. Obviously, people get emotional and whatnot, but we don't need to rehash all that. Uh, <laughs> Let's uh, let's look at this Penn State team so far. Obviously, the big opener um, against West Virginia, and you mentioned the Delaware game. 
What do you think you've taken away from these, maybe one or two things the, that you've taken away the most from these first two games? I don't know if it's something that's jumped out that surprised you or just what has been your, your kind of couple big takeaways? Yeah, I think I guess I'll set aside Drew Aller because we spent yeah. the last 10 minutes discussing him because, yes, check it off the list. He looks the part of a five-star quarterback prospect. That's what you wanted to see. I would say that that we haven't seen Manny Diaz do a lot of exotic things defensively, and he's going to be doing that a lot, I think, starting this Saturday against Illinois because he has the depth and the confidence right now as the second-year defensive coordinator, Patrick, to really go deep in some key positions. They truly feel like they can go five, probably six deep right now at defensive end. Uh, they think they've got six defensive linemen. You'll probably see 10 defensive linemen play before halftime by design against Illinois. It's something that they really haven't had in the trenches years gone by. And these are you know former blue-chip prospects. A guy like the night Dennis Sutton was recruited by just about every Buddy in the 2022 cycle uh, he came on and burned his red shirt last year. He could be due to become a star right now. And Chop Robinson, the Maryland transfer who came in last year, he's a force off the edge. Uh, I just think Manny Diaz right now, the way he's able to roll some of these defensive backs, he pretty much goes with four guys at safety. Uh, he, he's going to play four consistently at cornerback. And they're going to have fresh legs. I think that's very clear going back to last year, the way Manny Diaz rolled at a lot of these positions. Uh, they get into the fourth quarter of these games, and you can tell. I think that's going to be more evident than ever, uh, working our way through earlier stages of this season. And we'll see if that can maintain, if injuries knock some of that off you, or if, if, if you know underwhelming performances knock some guys out of the rotation. But right now, I think that's something that stands out. Manny Diaz is in complete control, and we were wondering if he would stick around for a year or two as a defensive coordinator, because I think if he does this again, Again, duplicates the success last year, builds upon it. He's going to be one of the most coveted commodities in the coaching market coming out of the 2023 season. And then I would just probably go over to the wide receiver room for Penn State. This is a team that lost its top three receiving leaders from last year's squad. So you had questions about when you this first when this first star quarterback, uh, first time starting quarterback is throwing the ball around who's going to be out there and are they going to be good enough to make him shine? And so far, Keandre Lambert Smith, who's a senior now has looked the part. He's got four consecutive games with 70 plus yards receiving. He only did that in three of the previous 33 games of his career. And he started 24 of those games. So the latest come on for Lambert Smith, that's good to see. And then Harrison Wallace is a guy they kind of stole out of the South. It feels like a couple of recruiting classes ago out of Alabama. He was a late riser in 24 seven sports rankings into the top 24 seven. They flipped him from the Duke blue devil of all teams and and he's got 10 catches through two games he's a guy i want to see maybe get more vertical they haven't stretched the field much here with their wide receiver group but he's somebody that when they start doing that he possesses the kind of jump out of the gym ability to go win some 50 50 passes maybe come down with one of those three catches for 120 yards kind of stat lines in a game um and, and that's really the, the part of the the, the of all this that we want to see uh, is drew aller throwing the ball deep they've had one pass travel more than 20 yards uh in the first two games that got completed yeah. it was it was keandre lambert smith it ended up as a 72 yard touchdown on the first possession of the season opener they haven't done it since so they've had a lid on this offense i think mike yersich starts to peel that off a little bit and then there's two transfers to know at wide receiver that have each done their part to some degree through the first two weeks malik mclean who spent two seasons at florida state six foot four 200 pound frame he's also a special teams contributor but he was a nine game starter as a true freshman for the Seminoles, not a starter here at Penn State, but he's working his way uh, as a viable option and definitely a, a rotational piece. And then Dante Cephas was a, a pretty prized uh, prospect in the transfer portal this past year. He had 
2,000 receiving yards for Kent State the last couple seasons combined. Comes back to his home state of Pennsylvania. He's had to work through some adjustment periods after enrolling in June, but he's a guy who showed up a little bit here. And then Sean Clifford's younger brother, Liam, get to know that name a little bit. He's made his first start as their slot receiver. Um, not a guy who's, I think, going to put up huge numbers this year, but someone who's could be one of those reliable security blankets uh, for a first-time starting quarterback. The running game to me was something, aside from Drew Aller and how that all worked out, was very interesting. We saw it last year when, when we came uh, to Beaver Stadium. The, the young running backs, they're now both a year, a year further into their career, How's it started out on the ground for Penn State? And uh, to mix in with that, Ryan asked, does Penn State have a better O-line this year? Obviously, that plays a big factor in, in the running game. Combine those together. How, how's it going on the ground? It's so far, so good, I would say. It hasn't been a fireworks show like I think maybe we thought it could be against Delaware, particularly Nick Singleton. His longest gain of the season thus far is 14 yards. That's going to change, could change at any point. He went 80-plus in the Rose Bowl. That's something that he can do uh, you know, four or five times in a season, take it you know, 70-plus yards. K. Charn Allen, more of that you know, guy who's going to pound you down uh, and, and just be that bruiser type of back. He's, I think he's gained some more acceleration. He's changed his body a bit in year two. Uh, but Catron Allen at 154 yards right now in the season. He's over five yards per carry. Nick Singleton just shy of five yards per carry, 117 yards. Uh, Singleton had three touchdowns last week, but Catron was the one who won over 100 yards against Villanova. And they've both been introduced as starters on, on alternating weeks. I think they're trying to, to play that fine line between two guys who think they are a superstar and two guys who have that superstar potential but there's only one ball and the running back position typically lends itself to one guy being on the field, though you will see them both out there in a T formation if this team gets at the goal line. So, I mean, Patrick, you've seen it with Ohio state, whether it's a wide receiver, although you can, you can get more guys on the field, but at wide at quarterback and, and at running back with Ohio state, it's, you know, when you recruit the way that they do and, and the way Penn state has certainly done at running back, you get in some uncomfortable circumstances and now you throw in the NIL equation and people know that bigger numbers for them can mean yeah. bigger numbers for their bank account. And I think Penn state's, you know, balancing that it's going to be curious to see how they maintain it. These are only sophomores. So they have a whole another year together potentially, but it's working well. And, and it just hit the jackpot with this bunch uh, because before they got here, the ground game and, and the lack of it was the biggest issue in a season that finished seven and six in 2021. I mean, it was so glaring. It was the ineptitude of, of that rush attack was so pivotal uh, and disappointing that, that you just wondered how they would bounce back even with Singleton and Allen coming to campus because they already had blue chip running backs and it wasn't working. These two were game changers, but the offensive line development maybe has, has lifted all ships across the, uh, the offensive platform for Penn state. Phil Shroudwine's in year four. Now he came in from Boston college, uh, you know, in 2020 didn't realize that he'd be spending his first year with an inherited group not being able to work hands-on with them because of the, the pandemic you know his first nine months of, of his time on campus he's zoom chatting with his offensive linemen um so it takes some time you know all right you know, by the by the time they get to 2021 uh yeah still the product does not look good these are holdovers from a past offensive line coach You've got a first-year offensive coordinator in Mike Yersich. We're talking about a year in 2021 in which they lost in nine overtimes at home against Illinois, 20 to 18, because they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't score on two-point conversions in those overtime sessions. It was so bad. Uh, and now they're about to play Illinois this week, and I could see them rushing for 300 yards and, and making it look relatively easy. It's completely different. And the offensive line development's been key there. Olu Fashion, who's the headliner, 
Let's remember, though, he's only started 11 games to this point in his career. I know everyone's kind of just saying he's a set it and forget it top 10 draft pick, but we're still learning more about him. He's still getting better. And, and to have him there to protect a guy like Drew Aller in year one is a remarkable luxury, in my opinion, for this Penn State offense. And across the way, a, a, an X factor, I would say, is Caden Wallace at right tackle. You know, he's played against Ohio State a bunch. He's been the starter for, for – he wasn't available last year because he was injured, but the two years prior, he started against Ohio State as their right tackle. Um, and you just wonder, is he just average player on a line that wants to get more than average? And it seems like he's taken that next step as a fifth-year senior through a couple games. That's been showing off. Uh, and, and in pre-camp, the returns were really good on him. I think the question that we still have here – uh, the interior has been holding up good. They're using four or five guys there with regularity. They like to rotate, to rotate, and it's been working thus far. But at center, Juice Scruggs was awesome uh, in 2022. He's a guy that drafted, got drafted in the second round by the Houston Texans. Uh, he was really outstanding and probably an overlooked part of what Penn State accomplished during that 11-win campaign in 2022. He's gone. Hunter Norzad is the starting center now. He's a six-year college player. Kind of an interesting journey. He was a tackle at the Ivy League level at Columbia. Uh, comes in last year as a backup guard. Ends up being the starting guard for them by the end of the year. And now he's the starting center. So we've seen him take on relatively light load with snap counts thus far in the season. They've been distributing it a bit. But I think when we see him take the mantle and be that guy and take the job and run with it, how he performs could probably go a long way in me answering if this offensive line group is better. Because I think they have the pieces to be better. I think the depth is better and the confidence is there because I think they were still convinced themselves last year that they could be a realistic league like like a good offensive lineman instead of a liability uh, now that's all there they have the mentality for it but i want to see this group go out and, and and beat down some beat big 10 opponents and i think illinois will be a great litmus test to determine whether they've really taken a stride ahead or whether they're still kind of at the same level where they were last year Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, uh, I watched that West Virginia game. I did not watch the Delaware game, I'll admit that. But I was surprised, rankings-wise, where how high up this, this Penn State defense ranked, total defense, scoring defense, things like that. What has worked? You talked about Manny Diaz a little bit earlier when you were talking about the defensive line. What, what has worked so well here early, maybe other than just playing a Delaware team that probably wasn't uh, matched up correctly here? Well, let's let's take this. Uh, no one on defense played more than 23 snaps last Saturday. Wow. I'll repeat that. No, not a single defensive player played more than 23 snaps in week two of this 2020 season for Penn State. That's going to pay off. That's going to pay off for you in the long run. Uh, they only faced 42 offensive plays from Delaware because they were busy getting three and outs along the way. Uh, they had a couple takeaways, but it's not like they had seven turnovers along the way. Delaware just couldn't pick up first downs. And Penn State kept scoring the football. It ends up 63-7. to But I think defensively what's worth noting here as well is they've been out without three of what I would consider their top 25 defensive players on this roster. Uh, cornerback Daquan Hardy, who's in his third year with Penn State as the primary nickel coverage guy. Uh, you're going to see a ton of him uh, in slot work when he's there. Amin Vanover, who, who we've penciled in as the number four defensive end and a really strong defensive end room, had a great preseason camp. And then Kaziah Izzard, a, a big body, 300-pound frame defensive tackle tackle has played a lot of Big Ten football and is at least a co-starter, if not an outright starter on this defensive line. None of those guys played the first two weeks. We don't know why. We've heard bumps and bruises from James Franklin on Izzard. Not sure on the other two, but they've been practicing. They were all out there this Wednesday for the first time in their regular uniform. So if they're all back for Big Ten action, that takes things up a notch for the defense. I think what stands out is just, again, they'll – 
they'll give guys a series off on the sidelines or they'll tuck their starters away when they can in the fourth quarter and they'll go deep. They haven't taxed anybody while accomplishing. You know, I haven't looked at, at the numbers and where they rank, to be honest, because it's, it's, it's hard to pull that from the sample size of seeing uh, Delaware and West Virginia was overwhelmed to Penn State's credit. Their, their, their quarterback, Garrett Green, did some nice things, but they just didn't have the weapons around him. Um, I think right now what I want to see from the Penn State defense moving forward is can they start to get that pressure rate up? Uh, will they actually, you know, they're going to start mixing in some packages to get that pressure. Uh, their Prowler package, which brings an extra defensive back on the field, that resulted in a lot of splash plays last year. It's not something we saw much of last year. And Abdul Carter, to me, is the one guy that we have yet to see unlocked. I think because of maybe the way they've approached these games from a mentality and, uh, and, and getting these guys off the field, they're playing it relatively conservatively from a play calling perspective. The freshman All-American hasn't really flashed in a huge way through two games, but I think he could get to 10 sacks. He's got one sack this season. He had six last year as a freshman at the linebacker position. We did not get to see Micah Parsons run after the quarterback here at Penn State. They were going to unleash that in a big way his junior season. He, he ended up opting out during COVID, so we didn't see it. Obviously, he can rush the passer. We all know that now with the Dallas Cowboys. They're not going to wait on Abdul Carter. We saw some of it last year, and I think that's maybe the next step for this defense. If he can be a guy that can get you 10, 11 sacks from a linebacker position, that does some wonders for you when you got a preseason All-American, a cornerback in Kalen King, and a lot of experience across the field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll get you out of here on this one since we're looking ahead. Obviously, that Ohio State game down the road is going to be a big one here in Columbus for both teams, I imagine. Um, I know it's early, but – what kind of sense do you have? And, and maybe you can lump the Michigan game in there with that, how Penn state feels as a team about those two games. And then maybe also the fan base and kind of how they're viewing, I believe the Michigan games at, at Beaver stadium this year, right? The Michigan game is here and the Ohio state game is in Columbus, of course. And, and yeah, no, I mean that this is the last year where it's like officially the annual roadblock, right? right? We, we, uh, Penn state has no attached rivals. You know, they, they like to call themselves unrivaled around here. And apparently the Big Ten agrees because they don't have those attachments moving ahead. Uh, but Ohio State and Michigan, now it's Michigan on top and Ohio State playing catch up. And, and before that, it was you know Penn State and Michigan jockeying for that second spot and trying to catch up to the Buckeyes. And Penn State is once their turn atop that conversation. You know, they, they want to be a, a, more of a rotation uh, than, than staring up at one or the other or both for the most part. So I think there's probably a, a lot more respect I don't want to say a lot more, but I think there is more legitimate anticipation that they can beat Michigan because they've done it before. They've kind of exchanged uh, you know, haymakers with Michigan during the Harbaugh and Franklin tenures. You know, they've sent Michigan home with some blowout losses. Michigan's done the same thing. They've had some close games back and forth. Ohio State just hasn't let Penn State get off the hook. They, they've had you know deficits in the fourth quarter. They've come back from in Beaver Stadium, out there in Columbus. They've had games where they've run away from Penn State. Um, it just hasn't come together since that 2016 Big Ten title run. So I think there is more confidence that Penn State, because of where the game is, and because of that recent history, that Michigan is the more winnable matchup this year uh, than Ohio State. But I also think people look at the results of the first couple of weeks and they look at J.J. McCarthy versus a still a, kind of a relative unknown or an evolving situation at quarterback for Ohio State. And you yeah. try to project what it's going to look like in October, project what it looks like in November. I don't think anyone sees Ohio State or Michigan getting worse as the season goes on. 
but but I think this is maybe more of a year where it's not as clear cut for me. I think Ohio State, you know, even after Michigan's 2021 big title run, I would always put Ohio State as the scarier of those two matchups. I, I still think it is this year. In fact, I picked them to lose at Ohio State and beat Michigan and finish 11 and one. But but I'm just not sure. I, I want to see more of Ohio State, just like I'm sure your fans want to see more of Michigan and more of Penn State. But it's here's what we know. It, it's kind of unfair because you got three of the very best uh, college football teams, I think, right now that are primed to push for college football playoffs. And because of the current structure, you're going to get one max two in there. Uh, and that's going to change in a big way. We'll see if these teams are starting to play in the playoffs uh, in the years ahead. Yeah, it's going to be fun, especially as they expand that. It is unfortunate that they are changing up the way they do this from a Penn State, Ohio State perspective. But we'll get at least one more of these here uh, later on this year. We hope you'll come back and, and talk with us on the happy hour. Tyler, thank you for doing this. I know it's a busy, busy week every week, so I do appreciate taking your time. Of course, man. Good luck with your coverage, and I'll, I'll see you down the road. You too. Sounds good. We'll talk soon. All right. That was Tyler Donahue of Lions 247, our Penn State site. that does a great job. If I know I say this about each of our sites when we do it, but I honestly believe it. If you – are looking for any sort of coverage on an opponent, future opponent. The 247 Sports Network is a great place to, to do that. You can get over to those other sites. A lot of the stuff's free. Some of the stuff's VIP. So great, uh, great, great resource to have if you subscribe to 247 Sports, be able to kind of see a little bit of everything. All right, we're going to turn the page over to Ohio State and look kind of at what we know so far, what we think about this team and – I'm not going to do it alone today. Sometimes you got to you get stuck with me talking the whole time, but bring on somebody who knows a thing or two about talking quite a bit. Timmy Hall from 97.1 The Fans, The Buckeye Show. Tim, how you doing? We're good, Pat. Let's talk some bucks. Hope everybody's having a good Thursday here. What are you drinking today? Well, we got a little uh we got a little sweet tea and I it's an old Raisin Cane's Christmas cup because when you're nice. at a radio station, we save things. And sometimes, you know, the, the cups are not in the budget. So our kitchenette sometimes doesn't have things to drink out of. So if we get a food drop from months ago during Christmas time from a place like Raisin Cane's, lovely chicken fingers, right? You can just, you can use them. So that's what I'm doing. Needed to drink some of this sweet tea that we had. That's the cup that I found. Nice. Well, if you're ever in need of a, a glass of some sort. I don't live far from the station. You can always swing by. I'll, I'll let you borrow one. Maybe give you a beer to take on your way. Thanks, Patrick. I can always count on you. Always looking out. All right, Tim. I want to talk about kind of concerns for this team two weeks into the season. What we think's real, what we think's not, what can improve, those type of things. Um, I'm going to start with the most obvious position, I guess we'll say, and that's quarterback. We got some clarification on the quarterback this week when Ryan Day said Kyle McCord is the starter, not just starting this week's game. Where is your concern level, Tim, with the play of the quarterback so far, and specifically what you've seen from Kyle McCord? You know, I I think we've got to keep things in check here. Talked a little bit on yesterday's show how I saw a number of Buckeye social media accounts starting to push the ball forward and get the question started on, Kyle McCord and a Heisman campaign and me personally I don't think that's doing anybody any good I know that's it's not everybody else's job to you know 
coddle Kyle McCord and not put stuff out there in the world. That's what social media is. We ask questions, we debate. That that part of it is fine. I just I just don't agree with it. I just I just didn't agree with that assessment or that take. I, I don't think we're we're nearly there yet with Kyle McCord. It's been a safe assumption that whoever has won the starting quarterback job in years past would likely have enough firepower to get into that conversation. But I think throughout the offseason and the fact that we didn't get a quarterback named the entire camp, I think that that should have made us sing a different tune here with how we are approaching this quarterback position for this 2023 team. I think the the expectations have changed. How we judge the position has changed a little bit. Now, I, I'm, I'm hoping that now that he's got the job and now that he's gotten a certain level of comfort through two starts, that he's going to have some more rapid improvement, that things that made him that five-star recruit are going to start to show up a little bit faster. It's going to be a little bit quicker for him. Because, Pat, I know when you and I talk, we watch this guy play, he put he throws a really pretty football. Like, you can see it. But we both know in any position on the whole football field, the way that you get to that next level, the way you become one of the best in the world, it's not just because you can do something one time or two times or three times. It's about consistently doing them. And Ryan Days used that word a lot as to where the edge was with Kyle McCord to name him that starting quarterback. He, he said that going into week one where how things were close, but slight edge to Kyle McCord, how he's just a little bit more consistent in everything he did. I I think it was a little bizarre how, how Devin Brown actually outsnapped him in the Youngstown State game. But most Buckeye fans, I feel, with their heads screwed on, came away from that saying, yeah, Kyle McCord was doing things. He was throwing the ball in a little bit more consistent fashion than Devin Brown. He was hitting guys like where he needed to place the football a little bit more than number 33. So I'm not I'm not extremely concerned, but Patrick, we don't have the same kind of gunslinger that we've had with Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields and CJ Stroud, just an overall playmaking ability yet. So they are going to have to be looking for help from other areas of the football team to beat teams that they're used to beating the same way. So that's where we're at with it. Yeah, I agree largely with what you said. I think, look, CJ Stroud was so good at putting the ball where it needed to be. I think receivers on Ohio State have have gotten a little used to that. And, like, the examples, like the Kyle McCord, there are a couple of Kyle McCord throws, even to Marvin Harrison Jr., who is a guy who he obviously knows very well, has played a lot of games with going back to high school. It's just been a little bit off the yeah, mark. Yeah. There was a couple behind him. Um, now, Marvin Harrison Jr. can make some of those catches. He's a freak. But I think that that's right now – I don't want to say a concern because I don't think it is. But when you get down the road into, like, some of those really challenging games – I mean, you look at what uh, what CJ did against Georgia and the way he just placed the ball in there a few times, those perfect throws. Now, that's a guy who's starting for two years. Kyle started three total games – really two games. So I'm not concerned about it, but I do think that, you know, there's been such a high level as you you rattled off the names is Kyle all the way to that level. I'm not sure yet. I think he can be very good and the playmakers around him. I think you can still win at a very high level. It's just a matter of, you know, what, how high does he raise the ceiling? CJ rose it very high. Justin Dwayne, those guys 
Um, we'll, we'll see with Kyle. I would not put my concern level very high at the quarterback position, regardless of who's starting, just because I like what they do, like what they have around them. So that's kind of where I would, uh, would leave that one. The second concern or get your concern level offensive line. Um, personally, I like the pass protection that they've given the quarterbacks. I think they can be better with that push in the run game. I'm curious where you stand on what you've seen in two games from this new, still relatively new offensive line. Yeah, I mean, we got to keep in mind that one of one of the opponents they played was not even in this division. So right. you almost crumple up and, and throw out a lot of uh, what you're seeing from an FCS program, especially when you're talking about the trenches because – your your overall number your strength in numbers right and to a man you should just be so much bigger stronger more physical it should it should look completely different which might we might talk about it coming up which leads me to some more concern in another spot another spot for the football team but there is there's got to be some concern when you lose what Ohio State lost we were ready for it we knew that it was going to be coming I just didn't really think that Josh Simmons would be a starter on this Ohio State football team this soon. And you can look at him, you can look at number 71 at left tackle and see some plays where he's getting beat and see that maybe his confidence isn't up there just yet. That I, I don't know if if he quite believes that he's in that spot. And then a week from now, you're going to be going with the Ohio State Buckeyes as the starting left tackle to face Notre Dame on the road. So I want to see that out of him. I, I just think you need to see a nastier, an edgier offensive line unit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're definitely. right. The past, it's been crazy how nobody's been sacked, if I'm wrong, right? I don't think maybe Devin Brown has taken yeah, one sack one, yeah. and Kyle McCord has not been sacked. So that's pretty good. Like, clearly not getting sacked. I don't know what the, the hurry or the hit numbers look like. I didn't, I didn't check those out, but no sacks is what you want to see. But – You've also just had a lot of short yardage situations where they couldn't block the run well enough to get those yards. And with everything that we just said, where we're not entirely sure if Kyle McCord is going to be able to elevate to that same status that these previous Ohio State Buckeye quarterbacks have been to, you definitely need to have a nasty offensive line if you want to chase a championship. Even if you just want to beat the upper echelon teams in this division, I think that's going to be paramount this year, Pat. And we're we're not – we haven't seen it yet. So this is an ongoing thing for this offensive line. Yeah, for me, you mentioned Josh Simmons. I think he played better in game two. But as you said, you're expected to do so against Youngstown State. Did have the two penalties. For me, the, the concerning part is Donovan Jackson, who hasn't played poorly, but yeah, the returning starter – potential All-American type guy at left guard, a guy that I think at one point they even considered maybe moving out to left tackle. I just haven't seen it from him. And again, it hasn't been bad, but if you're holding to the standard of All-American and you're playing a team in Indiana who, yeah, they brought some interesting blitzes like Tom Allen always does. And then you play a Youngstown State team. I'm just not seeing that push. I honestly thought, even though you have a new center, you would use that experience on the interior of the offensive line in the run game and make that kind of what you leaned on early in the season while these quarterbacks are getting figured out. And, and even if you established one, how as he settles in, 
they haven't been able to do that. You know, the runs up the middle have not been good. There hasn't been much push even against what appears to be inferior opponents. And, you know, I, I think there's issues. You could point to issues with each guy. Matthew Jones, I think, has played pretty well, actually. But the the fact that Donovan Jackson's not helping to get more push there when they have run inside is, is a bit concerning to me. Um, I've heard a couple guys mention, like, not enough juice. Our friend Jeremy Birmingham asked this week over from uh, the Rivals show, asked during the press comments this week kind of about leadership and yeah. – just trying to the leaders on this team are more quiet guys, at least the captains. I I do wonder if maybe they need to get to that Notre Dame game. And then you start seeing, and I'm gonna bring this up again in another topic, but then you maybe start seeing these guys fire a little bit more. I don't know. I, I think that's an optimistic view, but no I think- man. I I I agree. I agree. And let let's hit on that. Let's hit on that term you just used where where's the juice, right? Yeah. Where back to what I said, where's the edge? Where where is the freakish desire from that unit to just to look outstanding when they step out onto the football field? I mean, your sole job in life is to just block somebody out of the frame, right? That's what that's what it is. Whatever Whatever the play calls for, whether you're zone blocking, whether you're gap blocking, whatever it is at that time, you are either trying to, as a team, give your running back space to operate or just straight up get downfield and block a guy out of the play. And, right, sometimes they're going to bring pressures, right? That's where you count on that leadership when stuff's happening and Aaron Casey's walking up to the middle of the A-gap and you don't quite have a hat on him and someone's got to slide over and pick up the other linebacker, this is all we're talking about. Everyone's going to have to get on the same page and figure it out enough on the fly. And whether you miss an assignment or whether you don't quite, if you miss something out there when the linebackers or the defense shifts right before you snap the football, you've got to be playing with enough energy and enough desire that you can still win some of those plays, even when you miss something. And I almost, I almost want to see, remember those old Texas Tech linemen that would smear the eye black all the way yeah. down their face, right, for uh, the, the dudes blocking for Sonny Cumbie or whoever the hell that was back then? I, I need someone with a chain tat around his biceps. I need like a, I need a Taylor Decker looking dude out there. We, we, we need a Taylor Decker. Like we need, you know, Paris Johnson would suffice. You know, we had a guy like yeah. that last year, but – I need somebody who looks like you can just win a brawl in a bar fight if he's by your side. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Somebody who scares you a little bit. Someone scary. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, flipping over to the defensive line. I think when Ryan Day said this, Jim Knowles has said this, the interior of the defensive line has played pretty well. They've stopped the run well. They've yeah. even gotten some tiles for loss, some sacks. The pass rush, though. No sacks. I think one TFL between them um, and it's specifically the starting two of JT to Malau and Jack Sawyer, Tim, how concerned are you about this? Given again, they haven't played the most talented, the, the, the most matchup offensive lineman there. What, what's your, what's your concern level? Pretty concerned. I, I am. I'm pretty concerned. And maybe, maybe the most disappointed I am with, with anything. Like if, if we're going to talk Buckeye football in any capacity, talk about any position 
any group of players. It is, and again, like we we don't have to just focus on those statistics, but I do think they're important. I think it it proves to the dominance that you have that you're playing with. If it's not going to be a sack, show me some TFLs, right? Yeah. Just tackle the ball carrier, you know, make a make an instinctual play and get off of your blocker, read the backfield. And maybe, uh, I mean, again, like I'm not, I can't speak for what everybody's keys are on every play. I know there's something where if you have to set the edge, I understand that you don't want to go rogue, but I've seen some guys overrunning plays that turned out to be runs. And then one of our most talented football players on the field is completely taken out of the play, like right after it started. So I do, I do want to see better, better uh, get off. You know, I've been watching it. You watch when the ball is snapped. You watch just how Tui Moloau and Jack Sawyer's first move is. Are, are they getting a good, powerful, or good speed first what move, move on their opposing moves. tackle? Yeah, just what what are we doing? I'm just not seeing a whole lot to love when you're talking about two guys who have been given first round grades going into the season. And frankly, they didn't put up much numbers last year to deserve that. So I think it still went back off of their, their star power as recruits and just the type of athletes they are, the size and the speed. But as far as doing it and making it translate out onto the football field, it's, it's left a lot to be desired. I don't think I'm alone. I think, I think I speak for almost every Buckeye fan out there that, it's time to go. Like for Tui Molo-Au and Jack Sawyer, it is time to go. Like start producing now. Yeah. As Dave Biddle and I talked about earlier this week, like, you know, you're not even seeing, you're seeing JT Tui Molo-Au bull rush guys. There's no spin move. There's no swim move to get inside. Jack Sawyer, I don't know how, if I, I'd love to see the numbers of how often he's in the backfield because just watching it and watching it back, I mean, all, all of his tackles, I believe, have come past the line of scrimmage, like in a positive way for the offense. Right, means getting the guy after a four-yard carry. Yeah, he's chasing, chasing guys. Down. I missed the play. Yeah, we're talking about, we're talking about, I meet you, I wreak havoc in the backfield because I threw my tackle out of the way. Yeah. And then I'm there ready to spring left or spring right and make the play because – I've just won off the line of scrimmage so fast that I'm right here and there's nothing you can do with it. Or we just, we just haven't seen many, maybe we're spoiled, but that's the standard, you know, and that should be a good thing. You had guys as good as Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa and Chase Young here. And that's what we think of. Right. And it was tough for Zach Harrison to live up to it, but these guys have that chance. Like these guys get to play that position and be edge rushers at the Ohio state university so hopefully they they take what's left in the season and they ratchet it up. Like I think they do have to have to find they have to dig down deeper and find a different kind of energy level to to reach to get some of these results that we want to see. Yeah, and I mean, we were talking about it the other day when some of the other writers and I at the Woody just like it'd be different if if one of these guys had one sack and like Tumalau had a sack and Sawyer had a tackle for a loss. Like that's not a good number given what you've played, but it, it's at least something. And you're like, okay, like they can get there. We saw this a couple times. You know, there's obviously pressures that are important too. 
They've had a little bit of that, but not as much as I would have liked. Ryan Day's talked about the offenses they've played, Jim Knowles as well. And I think there is something to that, but like Yeah. But again, have, we can't tackle have, we can't tackle a running back in the backfield though. Right. Like I, I get it. Yeah. And both teams have thrown the ball 20 plus times. And I know yeah. some of the Indiana game was in the fourth quarter when they were throwing. So those guys weren't in there as much, but like one sack. But Pat, it not even not even the numbers. Like you said, like you you and the writers, you kind of been just chatting off to the side, you know, yeah. when when you've been at media sessions or whatever. When we used to watch some of these talented defensive ends, sometimes they wouldn't come away with a sack in the game, but you felt their presence. Yeah. It affected half of the offense almost because they would immediately try to shift the play away from one of these guys. If that was Nick or if that was Joey. And sometimes they would they would face double teams. Sometimes they'd face a tackle, a tight end, and the running back would come in and chip down. No one's having to do that for these guys right now. So there's that. Even if you just brought more attention over, that would do something. And even if you don't get the sack, just having one of those plays where we all said, wow, like did you see how fast Tui Moloau got off the football right there? The quarterback – saw him and immediately had to break from the pocket and then throw the ball out of bounds. You know, we'd remember, we'd yep. remember plays like that. If there were more of them, if we were seeing sheer dominance right off the snap and still the stat wasn't happening, maybe the quarterback, you know, quickly got forward and was run out of bounds for a one yard gain because the, the win was so, was so exact and so quick. It just, it's been lacking. I mean, we're not we're not making this stuff up. It's yeah. been lacking, and uh, by the time they go to Notre Dame next weekend, they are going to need a different level. A di I mean, because you know what you know what kind of dude plays offensive line at Notre Dame. Right. I mean, these are these are dudes that go to the NFL and get big time contracts. Taylor Decker, Notre Dame commit at one point in time, actually. Taylor Decker, yeah. I mean, look at look at Zach Martin and all yeah. these dudes, yeah, making the money they're making, right. All right, I'll get you out of here real quick on what what's your feeling for this game on Saturday? I don't know if you've done a prediction or whatnot yet, but just how do you feel about it? You don't have to go long, but just a few few things you're thinking about for this game. I mean, come on. It's come on. It's Western Kentucky. What look, they've they can put up some offense. I mean, I think if you look at Austin Reed and his passing numbers, and we'll talk a little bit more about this on the show tonight. Uh, Patrick, of course, will be with us at 6.33, so I don't will. miss the Buckeye show at 6 o'clock on the fan. Tyvis will be with us tonight, so that'll be a lot of fun as always. But I I, I am a little bit concerned for the defense. You don't want to see the defense give up three touchdowns. That, I think, would get us feeling in a very iffy kind of way going to the bigger game next week. But it's just a, a huge talent gap across the board. Buckeyes over Western Kentucky. I haven't locked in my score yet. I know the spread is 29 points. I haven't really decided if I'm going to take Ohio State to cover that or not. I'll make my final decision tomorrow on the show. But it's a it's an easy win. This is a this is a roll the helmets out type of game. No offense to Western Kentucky, but this is a roll the Buckeye helmets onto the field type of game, and and you can win this one by three touchdowns. But it, it wouldn't be all that impressive to only win by three touchdowns with everything that that's been going on and how you only beat an FCS school by four touchdowns. It would be nice to, to win this one by, by five scores. And I'm not dead set that they do it right now because I, I know the defense hasn't really been tested like this 
for a team that can get back there and run 70 plays. Right. I, I, I saw your article. I totally agree with it. I, I went off. Yes. I went off yesterday. How I'm just, I'm, I'm done hearing about the lack of plays. It's yeah. been maybe the most annoying storyline in college football. Everyone stations. Yeah. I don't Stop care. The other team from yeah. getting first downs. You got out third downed by the FCS school. There, there's your answer. I know the drives are shorter, but Western Kentucky ran 70 plays in their last game. Like it, it can happen, and it really doesn't matter. It's just even if four, four less plays get run, everyone in college football is going to be playing under the same clock rules. So it's an adjustment for everybody, not just you. And it's, it's going to be about winning the football. I don't care what, what it looks like when you get to the bigger opponents. And if you prove that you're ready in a better football team and just beat those guys, then I, I really frankly don't care if it's, you know, 450 yards for Ohio state versus, you know, 510 yards. It, it doesn't matter, but yeah, not, not that concerned about Western Kentucky, Patrick. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. I will talk to you later this evening on the Buckeye show. If you're, in Columbus, 97.1 The Fan. If you're not in Columbus, tune in on the app, the website, all those. Yeah. Anywhere else you can tune in. That's that's about everything. And then the yeah. show gets uploaded to podcast land there you go. 15 minutes after it's done. If you if you jump in late and miss some of the first hour. So that's a very good pub. Thank you, Patrick. Always. And thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. And go Bucks. All right. Talk to you, Timmy. See you, bud. All right. Thanks, Tim Hall, for jumping on here. I love having Tim on. I think he always brings good insight, brings good energy. We talked about juice. Tim brings the juice. Maybe the Buckeyes need some more of that. All right, I'm going to wrap up with something we started last week, and I kind of stole this from some other things, but I like the idea. It's called, I'm calling it, uh, What You'll Be Reading. It's basically what the headline will be Saturday night, Sunday morning, about the Buckeyes coming out of this week's games game excuse me obviously there'll be a bunch of headlines but like the main one and last week talked about exactly how i phrased it but uh something about marvin harrison jr bouncing back in a big way it took four plays and he was in the end zone on a 71 yard touchdown i believe and then obviously he had uh the 160 yards and two touchdowns on seven catches so all in the first half too so got that one right this week i think what you'll be reading will be Ohio State run game offensive line dominates in win. And whether or not that means that they've figured it out on the offensive line and gotten this run game going, I don't know. But here's a stat for you. Western Kentucky is 131st in the country in rush defense, allowing 267 yards per game. That is, uh, that is not great, right? And if you are uh, like, who did Western Kentucky play so far this year? I will tell you, they have played USF and Houston Christian. Um, USF, not a terrible program at all, but not a program that you're like, oh, well, that should, uh, that, you know, that should be a, it wasn't going to be one at one 41, 24. So it wasn't like it was like this close game and, USF ran for 374 yards in that game. Um, if if US, USF can do it, I think Ohio State can as well. Now, uh, Houston only ran for 155 yards, but that's a different level. I think that they will be, especially given how fast Western Kentucky wants to play, which could work out that they score some points, could work out that they're off the field a lot if things don't go well. 
giving Ohio State more of these possessions that Ryan Day so covets, and rightfully so. Uh, I, as Timmy said, I just think that there are other reasons besides the game clock running after first downs that Ohio State hasn't had as many possessions. But I think that they will be able to establish this run game. I think they will be able to dominate up front uh, in the run game. If not, I'm going to have a lot of concerns, a lot more concerns, because this is not, as I just read to you, the stats, this is not a team that has been able to stop the run. So, you know, as Ryan Day said on his radio show this week, they want four yards every time they run the ball. Now, is that realistic? Are you going to get four yards every time you run the ball? No, especially when you play better opponents. But in a game like this, I don't want to see running backs getting stopped at the line of scrimmage, uh, running into the back of their offensive line. Now, some of that has to do with the running backs, but the offensive line needs to get that push. Open holes. We've seen it at times. I think you'll see it consistently here. And if nothing else, I think that that is a confidence boost for this offensive line that probably needs it when it comes to run blocking. It'll give them a week or at least a few days before we really start to dive into Notre Dame of positive publicity. I think people will be talking about them in a more positive way. It won't be kind of the negative approach that Timmy and I had here. And I think that is a big deal as you head into Notre Dame where you will be able to run the dang ball, right? You're going to have to do that at points, especially young quarterback playing in his first hostile environment, offensive line too. So I think that that will be the headline. Ohio State's run game, offensive line, dominate against Western Kentucky, something along those lines. I don't like headlines. I'm not good at them, but something along those lines, you get my point. All right, we're going to wrap up here. Thanks again to Tyler Donahue from our 247 Sports, Lions 247 Penn State website for giving us some insight on Penn State. This is the last week we'll look ahead probably to, to uh, those games. We'll, we'll be talking Notre Dame, and then we're in the Big Ten. Uh, thanks again for Timmy for coming on. I appreciate every time he can give us some insight. And I know we were a little negative. We were, you know, we're talking about things that concern us uh, about this team. There's a lot of things to like about this team, too. You're, you're undefeated, right? You're undefeated 2-0. You've done what you're supposed to do. You should handle that on, on Saturday. I encourage you all to enjoy this. And we'll, we'll talk Notre Dame and what that means next week, what it hap- when it happens. Should be fun. We'll be back later next week, probably Thursday again, with the Bucknuts Happy Hour. We'll get our friends over from Irish Illustrated to come on and, and talk about this Notre Dame team. We only had them on just a couple weeks ago. So uh, Tim O'Malley from over there. But thanks again, Buckeye fans, for tuning in. I am Patrick Murphy with Bucknuts and 247 Sports. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Cheers.